You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three. Got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. It's all about the sidelines today, sort of. We have Mitchell Jurgens and Spencer Linton on the show. Spencer will talk about his favorite stadiums after his trip to Autzen Stadium this past weekend and also his thoughts on the BYU women's soccer team before the start of West Coast Conference play. First, Mitchell Jurgens has been the Cougars' radio sideline reporter for the past few years, but he is also a former football player who made an incredible catch in 2015. Pressure from behind. Mangum flips it into the end zone. We've seen this before. Touchdown, BYU! Mitchell Jurgens, I know it's been seven years, but how many people still come up and talk to you about, about catching Tanner Mangum's game-winning touchdown pass against Boise State in 2015? By the way, I guess I'm one of those guys now. <laughs> you know, it uh, it still happens. Um, it's not as frequent as it used to be, but... Um... I mean, anytime I'm in a new environment, um, they, they associate me with, oh, yeah, you're the guy who caught that pass against Boise, right? I'm like, yeah, that, I guess that was me. Um, so it happens. I mean, just just yesterday I was playing in the uh, um, old man rec softball league and and uh, somebody made the connection. And of course, that's that's usually what's brought up. So it's it's fun to be, I guess, a little part of BYU history and um, it's it's fun to fun to relive the glory days. How did you transition from being a player to now talking to the players and commenting on the game and being a sideline reporter uh, on BYU Radio? Yeah, it, it was a, it, initially it was a tough transition. Um, it's getting easier and easier um, as I've you know gotten um, more out of shape or out of playing shape, and so it's a lot easier. But it, it, initially stepping on as as a reporter, it was, I mean, it was fun. You know, that's always being just being part of the game still being part of the BYU program is, is something that, you know, I, I never want to give up. And it's, it's always just, I mean, BYU is always going to run true through me. Um, but initially it was tough. I mean, uh, you know, the first year I did it, it was the 2018 season or no, the 2017, uh, no, 2018. Yep. 2018 season. And, and I felt like I could still go out there and play. And so part of me was, it was almost hard to be on the sidelines and not being in uniform uh, to go out and play. And, and cause I felt like I could, but as the years have gone on, I've realized whether it's, I'm getting older, um, more out of shape, it's, it's, it's definitely easier to sit back and watch the game from a, uh, a radio perspective, even just a fan perspective and, and just enjoy BYU football for what it is. Now you get a different vantage point of the game than the other broadcasters, than the play-by-play announcer and the color commentator. In fact, it's almost like you're a player again because you're on the sidelines. During a broadcast, what do you like about being at field level and what do you not like about it? Yeah, so uh, obviously there's a lot of things to like about it. Um, having a front row seat is is pretty special. Um the, I mean, cause you, you get some of those intense games, um, really physical battles. I mean, you go two weeks ago to, um, the game against Baylor and, um, 
it was, I mean, it was loud, the hard contacts, the, the physicality of both teams. Um, you know, you don't get that level of experience if you're in the stands or, or, or a little bit further away from, from the live action. And so that, that part's always fun. And, and being the, the sideline reporter, you know, I'm not, I'm also not restricted as a, as the players are between the 20 or 25 yard lines. Um, I can go up to the goal line and up to the end zone. And, and so when, when BYU marches and, and they're inside the five yard line, you know, I've, I've got a front row. And a lot of times I try and position myself or my viewpoint right where the, right where the ball is. And so um, it's, I mean, it's always just catching live, live action right in front of my face has, has been a pretty special moment um, just to, again, stay involved with the program. Um, and, you know, as a BYU fan myself, it's, it's, a, it's a treat for sure. BYU football fans would probably say, man, I'd love to be on the sidelines with you during games. It'd be really awesome. But then you go to a place like Autzen Stadium in Eugene, or you go to some of these other places that you've been to in the past few years. What's it like being on the sideline when you're on the road? Yeah. So on the road, um, it's, it's, it's not as, it's not as difficult as, as some may say, you know, Austin stadium, they were loud. They were, um, it was a, it was a rowdy bunch, which, which makes it fun, right? That's the, that's the whole goal of, um, you know, these, these home crowds, you want to make it difficult and, and, um, and hard for these opposing teams coming in. Um, for me though, you know, being the radio guy, I mean, I've, I've got these, these headphones on, I'm, I'm listening to Greg and Riley, all day long with the, with the color commentary and the play-by-play. And, and to be honest, they're, they're pretty noise canceling headphones and they're, they're pretty strong. And so um, unless I'm taking my headphones off and I'll do it every once in a while, just to really hear the crowd, um, how loud it gets. But for the most part, I'm pretty zoned in um, to, to, to the game, to hearing the calls from Greg and Riley. Um, so I'm not too distracted um, a lot of times people will be, you know, I'll, I'll even, even at Lavelle Edwards stadium, I'll have um, friends or people that I know are yelling my name and, and they'll have to text me to get my attention. Cause I just, I, I can't hear that um, as I've, as I've got my headphones on and listening to the broadcast. So, um, but it's, I mean, even those, those loud environments, visiting away environments, um, you just soak it in as, as an experience to remember and, and, uh, you know, I, I love every aspect of it. We now want your unique insight on this team, being a former player and now media member. We'll start with Dallin Hoker leaving BYU. His dad says he wants to go somewhere that will utilize their tight ends and allow him to get on the field and help his team. What's it like for a team when players leave, especially when they're not happy with playing time? You know, it's, it's difficult. And I think this is, you know, even in, it's been seven years since I've been, or six years since I've been part of uh, the BYU football program as a, as a player, we didn't see too much of that um, as you know, the, the transfer portal really in the last five, five years has, has only increased and more people are entering the transfer portal. Um, and so from a, from a player perspective, I, I didn't, I couldn't relate too much to it because for the most part, our group stayed pretty true. Um, and, uh, it, but I would imagine a player like Dallin Holker, I mean, he's a um, fabulous athlete. He definitely adds incredible depth to that tight end group. I think it's going to hurt, um, uh, having a player like that. But, but at the same time, on the flip side, if, if somebody's not happy and, and if somebody is maybe just, yeah, not thinking that they're being utilized to the maximum effort and that plays an impact on their, 
potentially on their performance or their attitude. Um, from, from my perspective, like we want, you want guys that are bought in that are, um, that are, uh, you know, married to the program and, and will do anything and everything to, to put the team first. And so, um, yes, I think it's going to be tough from a, I mean, he's a great athlete. He's a great player and he was a great contribute contributor. Um, but at the same time, if, if people want out, then, you know, you gotta, you gotta build your program around those who, who are bought into the mission and, and, and want to, you know, do anything and everything to, um, to help the program. Coach Kalani Satake refused to blame the Cougars' defensive scheme and the loss to Oregon, but continually focused on the lack of good tackling technique. Uh, they didn't lack physicality. They just didn't, didn't execute a lot of the, the physical things the right way, getting off blocks um, and, and making tackles. And that's, that's my fault. i got to get our guys better. I noticed the dual blame game in that soundbite. A coach will say, this is why we lost. Specifically in this soundbite, he talked about tackling. But the coach will then blame themselves for bad tackling or whatever it is. How do players take it when they hear or read about this? To be honest, I mean, I've worked with Kalani for for a number of years now, and and he's he's one of the most humble, uh, you know, approachable coaches that's um, he, he understands his responsibility as the head coach. And whenever there's a, there's a unit that's struggling, right. Um, that's what coaches are there for. You can't just place all the blame on the players. And, and if tackling was a struggle, then coach recognizes, look, there are things we can do in practice to help put ourselves in positions to, to not let that happen. Um, but on the flip side, right. Kalani isn't the one on the field. Um, he can coach him up and do his best, um, you know, implement the proper schemes and techniques and practice drills to, to get his team ready. But at the end of the day, it's up to his, his players on the field to execute. And, um, and, and a lot of times, yeah, there's, there's going to be accountability held for the players. And I hope the way that they take that is, yeah, you know, coach is going to do, he's going to bring his all to ensure that this gets right. But on the other side, players need to do their job. Um, they need to be held accountable and, and recognize that, you know, to be on the field, you're being trusted to do your job. And if you're not, then they need to take it personally and, and um, get them get themselves in the right position to, to perform at that level. The team and fans were sorely disappointed with that loss at Oregon, mainly because of how the overall game turned out, not just the score, but just how it looked and probably how it felt. Oregon is in the rearview mirror, according to wide receiver Cody Epps. I, I don't think a loss really defines us as a group we we know what we we need to focus on and we know what we can do better so I think just staying true to ourselves me staying true to myself and and looking at the things that I can do a lot better and I think we'll come out next week and do what we usually do Mitchell that sounds real easy moving past a loss but is it really that easy as as far as the attitude kind of moving on yeah I mean it definitely needs to be the attitude is is the loss is behind you. There's nothing you can do to control the past. Um, to, to, to go back and, and win that game and, and remove the loss from uh, from your record. And so the only, yeah, that's the only thing you can do is, is set your sights on Wyoming. Um, learn from the mistakes, certainly from Oregon to become better as an organization, but you've got to put that in the rear view mirror and focus on what's, what's ahead. And that's, that's Wyoming this Saturday. Um, it's, um, it's obviously, you know, a little bit easier said than done. Um, but you know, these players is they've got a number of, of returning talent, um, great leaders on the team who can help them focus on look one light, one loss is not going to define us. Um, the amount of, FBS teams that go undefeated is 
very rare, right? Um, it may there may be a couple teams at the you know when all is said and done at the end of this that that have an undefeated record, and um, to have one loss uh, on the schedule um, is definitely not uh, it's not a um, it's not something that's going to destroy a program. Um, it's 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 there to help um, define these players to make them you know to pull the best out of them and recognize look we're not invincible we're not just going to walk in and win every game and uh, uh, you know a constant reminder to to perform at at the best of of their capabilities. Epps hauled in his first TD as a Cougar, but he says he still wants to improve his route running. Stretching the field on my end, just from a personal standpoint, being able to make big catches down the field would just help us a lot because now safeties have to move further back and DBs have to kind of kind of latch onto us a little bit more. And even linebackers, they have to be able to climb up the field um, just in case we get behind them. So just from a personal standpoint, I want to be able to um, do better in my depth, uh, with my routes and just being able to make those big plays down the field to just complement the run game. How hard is it to run routes? I mean, a, a simple man like myself may say, oh, it's easy. You know, you run a design play, you go to the spot where you're supposed to go, that's it. But it's got to be tougher than that, Mitchell. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy on air. You know, with no defenders, um, it can definitely... You know the concept: uh, a dig route. You got to get to 12 yards. Work up to uh, work up to 14. Come back to the ball. I mean, it's it's definitely on paper. It looks easy, but as soon as a defense gets involved, you've got different coverages. Uh, you know, man coverage can look different in a lot of ways. You can have a guy sitting at 10 yards using man. You can have a guy in press, um, and that alters the way. Um, that those routes are run, the timing, um, the importance of getting depth when you are in press coverage. And so it 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 can be difficult. And, and in a pressurized situation, like a lot of times these these newcomers are in where it's say it's a big third down and you've got to be mentally there to know what your job is, what the um, you know, how or, or the importance of me getting to my depth, the importance of of running the right route, because um it's not just you on the field, typically one route right, is is one of three or four reads for the quarterback, and everybody needs to be in their right position at the right time. And so there's there's a lot that goes into it. That's why, um, you know, as you look at kind of the most veteran uh, players in the NFL or in, in, in college, um, a lot of times they have time and they have chemistry built with their quarterback because they know when they're going to be at what spot and can trust that that's going to happen no matter what the coverage is. Um, and so it, it takes a lot of practice and, and um, Cody's a, Cody's a young receiver who has a lot of potential and I've seen a lot of great things, but as always, I mean, even me as a player, as, as when you got to the, when I became a senior, it wasn't like, um, I had it all figured out. There was always work to be done, um, because it's, a it's, it's definitely, a. um, uh, everybody needs to be accurate and on point for an offense to run efficiently and well. You were actually on BYU's football team the last two times the Cougars played Wyoming in 2010 and in 2016, but I don't think you played in either game. What what happened? So 2010, I did not. Um, that was that, that was a red shirt. That was my first year on the roster. Um, never dressed, so I was on. The, I was a primarily a practice squad player. Um, 2016, I actually did play, but I did not come away with a catch. Um, that uh, the 2016 game against Wyoming. Uh, I believe Josh Allen was was quarterbacking for uh, Wyoming. That was a fun game, but it was uh, it was very very wet. Um, the the weather was not good. We we primarily it was a, it was a muddy game in the grass um, there at uh, where the Chargers used to play. We played in an NFL stadium there, and it was tough to throw the ball. Um, 
uh, being, you know, battling the reins and the, and, um, uh, but it was a fun game. It was, it was pretty sloppy. Uh, but overall we came out on top. I think Kainakua came away with the game winning interception against Josh Allen to seal it. And, um, it was, it was a fun last game to be a part of. My apologies for saying you didn't play in that game. You just didn't record a statistic, at least when it comes to a reception. But do you feel cheated not being able to play in this longtime Cougar rivalry on like a season in, season out basis, especially you never got to go to Laramie? <laughs> you know, it, it, I got asked that question a lot as a player and even post, um, you know, my, my playing days and I loved the independent era. I mean, the amount of amazing venues that I got to play in and against teams that you wouldn't normally play if you were locked into a conference. Um, I didn't get to experience that, right? Playing UCLA, Nebraska, um, uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan State. I mean, we played all over all over the map, and that was something that was was truly special for me being a, you know, a big a uh, football fan growing up watching some some amazing college football across the country and and so it was cool to just experience a little bit of everything there so you know i i'm not, i'm not too bitter about um not going up and and having kind of the sustained rivalries around just because i i i was um kind of focused more on uh the the change in schedule and how cool it was to visit different teams and play uh play uh different teams consistently Mitchell Jurgens is the one and only sideline reporter here for BYU football on BYU Radio. Mitchell, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much, Cleon. Coming up next, Spencer Linton joins the show to talk great college football venues and giving up late goals in women's soccer. This is Behind the Mic. You may know Spencer Linton as one of the hosts of BYU Sports Nation or a sideline reporter or a play-by-play announcer. He's done it all. Today we're going to talk a little football and some women's soccer. First, the football. Spencer, you were on the sidelines at Autzen Stadium. What was the atmosphere like inside the stadium? Well, first of all, that place is designed to be like an echo chamber. And people had said that to me, and I had never seen a game at Autzen until BYU played there last Saturday. But... Now I understand what that's all about. And keep in mind, the students were not even back in full force at the University of Oregon. They didn't start classes until September 27th, uh, or don't anyways, till September 27th. And so like, it was a partial student section, but still the Ducks fans show up. And the way that the stadium is, is built and designed and stacked, it just reverberates. So it got really loud when Oregon's offense got rolling. And you can see how things can, can kind of become emotionally taxing for a visiting team. Like Oregon's won 21 straight home games now. They've won 30 straight against non-conference opponents. BYU was the 30th victim in that regard and the 21st overall. But you can you you felt it. Um just like almost like uh, a pulsing uh a building sensation where like the, the offense for Oregon gets going and then just gets louder and louder and louder. And uh, I mean, after a fourth down stop and they held the Cougars uh, on a tough drive and a missed field goal, you just, there, there are different roars in different stadiums and that one, it reverberated. So the, the echo chamber is very real. That is an outstanding home field advantage that the Ducks enjoy. You've been to plenty of stadiums to watch BYU play. You've seen plenty of football games. What would you say is your top, Three. I'll say three. What would you say are your top three places when it comes to atmosphere, crowd, whatever you want to add in there? What are your top three places that you've watched a football game, at least where you've watched a football game where BYU's involved? Okay, so I was going to say, do I do I need to 
uh, offer up a game where I watched not a BYU team okay. play because no 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 no, no. Let, let's add that in there too okay let's so, add that in there too so in 2017 in the season that shall not be named largely for <laughs> BYU which was the worst season in 50 years for the Cougars um, BYU played at Mississippi State very early and lost big in Starkville well an hour and 10 minutes away in Tuscaloosa Alabama was hosting Arkansas in an SEC showdown ESPN Saturday Night College Football. And I thought, what am I going to do in Starkville for the rest of the day now that the game's over? No, no, I'm going to go to Bryant-Denny Stadium and see what this whole Alabama home football atmosphere is about. And it is special with the serenade of pom-poms and chants and choruses and the songs. And like that was a special college football experience. And so even though BYU was not playing at Bryant-Denny, they have played there in 1998 against Sean Alexander in Alabama. But I did not see that game. Um, I did see them play Arkansas. That, and by far, like you, when you watch a game in the South and you watch a game at Alabama, you just understand what it means to the community. Everything is centered around the game, when the game happens, what's going to be going on after the game, before the game. It's just, it is a community event. And so that was special. So that's one of the three. The other two do involve BYU. Uh, Camp Randall in Madison, Wisconsin, unbelievable. Like that. Between the third and fourth quarter, when they do jump around, that is so special. Stadium shakes, super fun. Just so happened that day, BYU pulled off one of the greatest upsets in BYU football history, knocking off number six Wisconsin, and the BYU players were getting involved in the jump around scenario. So to see 80,000 people uh, together jumping around to that song, it was just, it was crazy. And then the third is Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. Amazing. 100,000 people. It is deafening. Zach Wilson told me after the game, he's like, you know, I've played in a lot of loud environments and big stadiums. He's like, I was I was surprised by how loud and how deafening it was. And it was, for the first time as a quarterback, I was like, how am I going to communicate with my guys? It is so loud that I don't know how I can, like, I'm, I'm having a conversation literally through the ear hole of one of my offensive linemen, and he cannot hear me. <laughs> it's that loud. Uh, and BYU had a miraculous win there, too. So I'm sure that factors into why I view those stadiums as so special because it's tied into great BYU memories. But Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, Bryant-Denny Stadium where I watched Alabama play Arkansas, and then Camp Randall, Madison, Wisconsin, those are the three that come to mind. I mean, I, I need to go through the full list, but, like, those three, special places. Okay. I want to I go back to what you said about Oregon and how deafening it was, but also between the third and fourth quarters – they play shout. What was that like? Because, I mean, I, I've watched videos of it, and you see the players, the Oregon players getting involved, too. Yeah. What was that like for you just kind of watching and observing? Or were you just like, man, this game is just not fun to watch in some ways, and you're like, I don't know if I want to watch this. But, I mean, it's still kind of cool. It's cool that they're able to do this. Yeah, yeah, cool tradition. And and like you said, watching the Oregon players, who certainly were having a good time on Saturday, I believe at that juncture – Oregon was up, I want to say something to the tune of 31 to 7 or 38 to 7, something like that. And so, yeah, the players were feeling extra loose on the Oregon sideline. I didn't know they did that. Like, I was like, how did I, how did I not know that this was a thing? And because the Oregon fans after the game were like, hey, I know it wasn't the best game for you guys, but, you know, pretty cool to like, you know, see the traditions here and, and, you know, sing along with shout and stuff like, right? And I was, I was like, well, yeah, it wasn't great for BYU, but that is a cool tradition. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. And they, they also say something at the beginning of every game in Eugene, uh, something to the effect of, 
it never rains in Eugene on game day. You know, and, and everybody says it together. And I was like, well, apparently that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it didn't rain uh, both literally um, and figuratively um, for the Oregon Ducks. It was, it was a great day full of sunshine for them, not so much for the BYU Cougars. You were able to talk to Coach Satake right after the game. You know, it seemed in the interview that I watched with him, he seemed pretty even keeled after the game. Has he always been like that when you viewed him after losses, or does it help that we're early in the season, there's still a lot of promise to the season? Yeah, I think that factors into it for sure. Like, he's seen enough good through three weeks to feel comfortable about coming out. And, you know, frankly, after a tough loss like that, sometimes coaches don't want to talk. Um, We were posted up right outside the BYU tent, and we said we'd love to talk to Coach Taki, and they said, okay, well, we'll see how things are going at the press conference. But he was very gracious um, and very patient and, and came over and talked with us. And I, like I said, he's very even keel and pretty honest of just, man, I'm really, really upset. And I'm bothered by a lot of things that didn't go well. We have a lot of work to do. And I'm sure that because we have seen some great success in the win against Baylor, um, he's – not as down as he could have been. Now imagine if BYU had lost in double overtime to Baylor <laughs> and then gotten wiped in Eugene and just blown out of the building, which happened on Saturday, and you're one and two and you're not feeling as as great. But he knows what this team is capable of. He knows the promise that they still show. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I appreciated how genuine he was and just like the disappointment was real. Like even while he was even killed, his tenor in his voice was just, ugh, like that was... That was tough, and I just immediately want to get back to work. He kept saying, I want to go to work. I just want to go to work. I'm going to figure this thing out. Speaking of Coach Satake, he says his players may not be aware of the old whack Mountain West rivalry with Wyoming, but that they should expect a tough game. Back to my playing days, that's kind of the standard you always have to deal with when you play Wyoming. Uh, they're strong, tough kids, and they come in here with great effort, and uh, they play with high energy. And so when that when I see it, and that's expectation from their fans, and I see it on film, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, man. I, I'm looking forward to it, though. I, I feel like we're in a point now, uh, going through some adversity, we can really, really make some changes, really make some improvement. I'm excited about that. That goes back to the excitement that you talked about, about making changes. Are, do you think the players are just as excited? I, I would think so. I mean, if you lose the way you did in Eugene, I would think the players are like, yeah, we got to do something different. Let's get to work. Yes. Too. I mean, typically the, the thing that you want to do to erase the bad taste is just to fill that space and void with something else. And after a game that was that tough, and in the players' words, that bad, you, you just want to get better immediately. And so, yeah, I think the players are really excited about the next opportunity. Um, I think the coaches are excited that it's Wyoming. I don't know how much the players are buying into the old Mountain West Conference whack rival thing. They just want to play football. They just they just want to get out and play football. Speaking of this specific team, but I know the coaches they know what <laughs> Wyoming means, and the Wyoming coaches know what BYU means. Like so, I don't think that the players on both sides really feel the rivalry, but the fan bases feel it, and the coaching staffs because of their experience in college football and, and histories. They absolutely feel that rivalry. So it's uh, it's kind of a unique dynamic that way. And to your point, I mean, BYU has had some epic, epic battles with Wyoming, including that 96 WAC championship game. And and you got to go back to I mean, BYU's first ever victory, Cleon. First ever victory <laughs> was against Wyoming, 7 to nothing in 1922. 
Like it, it's this thing goes a long way back. Third third longest rival, if you want to say it is a rival, and I do. I think it's a rival. Third longest rival in BYU history. Are you as excited for BYU to play Wyoming? I know it's not Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, but it's a regional rival. It's someone fun to play. It brings back a lot of feelings to you know, someone who's a little bit older like me, when I used to watch BYU play play at Wyoming, I'm excited. What about you? Yeah, I certainly am, and I'm excited to watch them play for the first time since 2016. I mean, you got to go back to the forever poinsettia champion BYU victory in that last poinsettia bowl against Josh Allen in Wyoming to recall a, a game that happened between the two. So I'm excited for them to meet for the first time in six years. And uh, because I grew up with the rivalry, yeah, it matters to me. I've got people that I know well that are Wyoming fans, you know, that are like, you ready to get destroyed again? You know, like, <laughs> okay, I know you watched the Oregon game and Wyoming just beat Air Force, but this is a different scenario. This is a Provo. This is a Saturday night. Let's see if they can handle BYU's significant home field advantage. Looking for a lane. Brick and Zingo! She does it again! What a shot. Spencer, you're one of the play-by-play people for women's soccer. I'm just curious, were you a soccer guy growing up? I mean, was it easy for you to start calling soccer games? If it would have been me, it would have been tough. I mean, I've watched soccer, and I kind of know what's going on, but I there, there's a lot that I just don't know about. What about for you? Sure, yeah. By nature of the sport, and I'll say this, like I, I do play-by-play for a number of different sports, I feel like soccer is the most challenging because there are few stoppages, it's just 45 minutes of go, 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 primarily, right? And you got 22 players on the pitch at all times. So you have to know where all 22 players are, who they are, what they are doing, their responsibilities. And you're not going to have like lengthy timeouts to reset. And like you don't have all these replays and natural breaks. It's just constant game action. So it is very challenging that way to be able to call a soccer game at a high level. And um, when, when that was the first thing I did at BYU Broadcasting when I got the call back. Um, I was coming from Palm Springs, California from an ABC station as a local news sports guy. And then when I took the play-by-play gig back at BYU in 2013, my very first assignment was a women's soccer match. And I thought, wow, this is challenging. This is to carry a broadcast like this and be able to go. It It is different and unique compared to any other sport that I call. But I did have a backdrop in it uh, pretty significantly because I played soccer all growing up. Uh, I was a huge fan of the World Cup growing up in Team USA, and I uh, was excited when Major League Soccer got its start in the late 90s, uh, in large part in America. And and so I, I did have some familiarity with the sport, which I'm grateful for now, because had I not had that backdrop and I got the assignment, then I probably feel like you like, whoa, how does this thing work? <laughs> this is tough. It's And it's still tough for me because of the way that the game goes. And, I mean, you just got to be able to talk consistently and, and know what you're talking about. And then handle the substitutions that come in during college soccer, which are endless on the women's side. Like, they have an infinite amount of substitutions. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you got to know so many players and so many different things. Um, but I really love the sport. And I fell in love with it even more when I was a missionary in South Korea and I was there during the World Cup. And I got to witness it firsthand and see what that sport means to so many people. Dangerous ball! Open net! BYU women's soccer is always competitive. They're coming off a year in which they went to the national championship match, but this year's club seems to be a little bit inconsistent, giving up late match goals. Why is that? It, I mean, are we going to blame it on experience? What are we going to blame it on? And I maybe blames a a harsh word. Sure. But why are we seeing that right now? 
That is, I think, what the coaches are trying to figure out because I talked to Brent Anderson, one of the assistant head coaches, and he said, Spencer, we're not having these breakdowns in practice. Like, nobody gets behind the defense in practice. Our best offensive players are not getting behind our defense in practice, but it's happening in games. And so he's like, somewhere uh, being lost in the translation from practice to game is just there's these little windows of opportunity that our defense is giving to the opposing teams, and we got to figure out how we can, like, fix that in practice, right? we got to – Maybe it just means we tell our offensive players, like, hey, go harder, be crazy, go nuts, try and embarrass your teammates even more, be more physical. And I think that, honestly, they've tried to do that to put some more pressure on the defense in practice so that when they get into these game scenarios, they can handle those those tough late-game goals. But, Cleon, I think uh, BYU figured some things out when they finally closed the game against Utah. They surrendered a late goal to make it 1-1, but then they scored like 52 seconds later and finally closed out a big game. And I'll remind you, last year, BYU lost a home match to Utah State, like inexplicably. And the team that ended up eventually going to their first ever College Cup and their first national championship, they fell out of the rankings. They were kind of an afterthought going into West Coast Conference play. And they had two of their all-time leading scorers in Cam Tucker and Michaela Coulihan, not to mention their starting keeper in Cassidy Smith. They had those players. They knew what they had there. It just kind of took like a, some some tough wake-up calls in non-conference play, and I think that the coaches are hoping that that is a similar situation to this year where it's like, look, you've gone through some growing pains. It's been tough. Hopefully we've bared down in practice. We've figured out like, that little weird thing that's going on at the defensive side late in games. And when we get into conference play, then we can start to make a special run again. So I think they're pointing to last year specifically and saying, look how weird it was last year and where we ended up. This team has the talent and capability to go from a weird place this year to something special later on. October 1st is when uh, they begin conference play. So far, who do you think has been the MVP of this team? I mean, it could be easy to say Brecken Mazingo just because she's the top goal scorer. but. Who do you think the MVP so far of this uh, squad is? Yeah, Brecken Mazingo, uh, right now, at this point of the season, just because of her ability to score from outside the box. And not just that, but like her ability to share the ball. In BYU's 2-1 win over Utah recently, she didn't score a goal, but both of the assists came from one Brecken Mazingo. She handles corner kick responsibility. She's really good at it. She's poised. She's not a player that gets too high or too low. She kind of reminds me of Michaela Coulihan that way. Like just really, really in the moment, intense, but not too high or too low emotionally. Um, and then, yeah, she's just had some special goals this year. So Brecken, to me, is the clear answer for MVP at this point. However, watch out for Olivia Wade. She plays in uh, what they call the sixth position. And the sixth position is, is position in the midfield as a player that kind of has to do everything. You have to play defense at times, make some miraculous retreats to prevent goals and and different things. Uh, you've got to be very, very good at distributing the ball in the midfield, but you also have to have the ability to go and score goals. Like, you got to do it all. And it often goes as, like, kind of uh, an unsung hero position. So Olivia Wade is the glue in, in many ways, I feel, for BYU. I'd like to see a little bit more from Jamie Shepard. I think she's a special player, too. But Olivia Wade, Jamie Shepard, if they can join Brecken Nazingo, then, I mean, this team is capable, Cleon. There's a reason that they were ranked in the top five going into the preseason. If they can get that to gel and figure out things on defense, watch out. I'm just saying, you watch out for BYU women's soccer as they push through October and November. Spencer Linton is a man of the sports world. 
Thanks for joining uh, Behind the Mic. We'll have you on again. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Behind the Mic. Please, please, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast provider. And you can also find all the show's episodes at BYURadio.org or on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.